When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Ding, ding. I'm honest with you, I'm, I'm glad that we didn't win that game today because uh, <clears throat> we didn't deserve to win. We didn't play well enough, and uh, you know we're going to get back to work and get get going here. Yeah, well, we're, we we got to get on the stick here pretty quick. Um, you know, I think uh, Remmers will be back next week, uh, which will be good. I think uh, Elfline's got a chance to get back here pretty soon. Um, you know, that will help. Um, I don't know about Rashad yet, so we'll see. But, yeah, it's tough. I mean, you know. But, you know, we're not the only ones in the league to be having these issues, I'm sure. We just have a few more than we no- should have at this point in time. But, you know, it's it's all right. It's Zolgat and Collar. It's the TCL Broadcast Studios. Two hours of us, Matthew. So a lot of National Football League talk, including what we just heard right there from uh, Mike Zimmer talking about the offensive line concerns and also talking about the fact that he was glad that the Vikings didn't win on Saturday. And what I would describe, I really believe this, as the worst preseason one through three game I've ever seen in my life. Game four is always terrible, so I don't count those. This was sitting through that beside you in the press box at U.S. Bank Stadium. And I don't feel bad for us for one second, okay? But it was painful. It was awful. Here's where everyone was lucky. It was at noon on a Saturday on a really, really nice day. So if you didn't go, the chances of you watching the whole thing were probably pretty low. So you didn't have to deal with that nightmare of a football game. It it was by the end of the first half, I was surprised people weren't heading for the exits because there were like five fumbles, a bunch of penalties, Blake Bortles tried to throw two interceptions, but the Vikings dropped one. It was a hideous, ugly, awful football game, and I never want to think about it again. So the offense in the uh, preseason opener at Denver, the first-team offense played a series. Kirk Cousins was 4-4. Four four. Uh, Stephon Diggs made a couple of nice catches, including one for a touchdown, and the offense looked very in sync w- with an offensive line that certainly was not the finished product. Uh, on Saturday, Kirk Cousins played four series, really three, because Murray fumbled a ball to start one, and they lost the ball on that one. But anyway, so where do you put things right now? Because the assessment of Game 1 was, hey, that's pretty impressive. The assessment of Game 2 is that's a, a dumpster fire. Uh, we're two preseason games in. I expect the first-team offense, or what they have of it, Collar, to play the majority, if not all, of the first half on Friday against Seattle. So if we calmly take a step back, if we calmly take a step back and we don't get too excited by what we saw against the Broncos and we don't get too pessimistic about what we saw against the Jaguars on Saturday, what is your assessment of where this team is at offensively with really one preseason game left to play for them? Well, like you said, I wouldn't take anything too seriously that you saw either way. Like, one great throw uh, by Kirk Cousins to Stephon Diggs does not mean Super Bowl. And one, two, three bad drives against the Jaguars does not mean six and ten. Okay, so there's one place to start that none of this really means anything. I can't remember what happened at all in last year's preseason. I think if I try really hard, I remember Sam Bradford being sacked on the opening drive of the first preseason game last year. And we all went, oh, this Remmer signing is so bad. This offensive line is going to get Sam Bradford killed. And actually, until the end of the season when they got dinged up, the offensive line was pretty good mm-hmm. for last year. Mm-hmm. So relax on on what you saw on Saturday. Don't freak out there. That's where I would go first. 
Second, there have been some issues in practice, especially when they run through like the two-minute drills that they're going to have to improve on for sure. But it's really about just getting these offensive linemen back. If Remmers and Elfline are back, this is still not a good offensive line, but it's certainly not what you saw the other day. What you saw on Saturday was like the worst-case scenario offensive line. The everything has burned to the ground offensive line playing with Kirk Cousins there. And it was clear when you're going up against the Jacksonville Jaguars that that's going to impact how you succeed or fail. Mm-hmm. So do you think, now Zim said in the post game on Saturday, Elfline is close to coming back. I think Doogie said on the show last Friday that he had heard that it might be, uh, that, that he might be activated in the next couple of days. Uh, Remmers, it sounds like, is definitely because he's he was actually back practicing, I believe, in individual drills last week. And so the expectation is he will be back this week from his ankle injury and that there's a chance he will play on Friday. So if you get him back, you get um, you get Elfline back. Rashad Hill is, is still out. If that's the case and, and if Hill's ankle problem keeps him out for an extended period here, and it did sound from Zim like he wasn't sure. Do you keep Remmers at right guard, or do you kick him back out to right tackle and now go with and now go with what is essentially with the loss of Easton as well to two new guards? Yeah, that's a great question, and I don't know. Thank what you very much. Do. That was very good, Judd. They do um, seem they do they do now seem to at least be somewhat concerned publicly. Yes, I yes. mean it's Zimmer Zimmer when he said. In fact, I'll play play this again. This was a direct question asked to him about the uh, the lack of continuity so far for the offensive line. Yeah, well. We're, we we got to get on the stick here pretty quick. Um, you know, I think uh, Remmers will be back next week, uh, which will be good. I think uh, Elfline's got a chance to get back here pretty soon. Um, you know, that will help. Um, I don't know about Rashad yet, so we'll see. But, yeah, it's tough. I mean, you know. But, you know, we're not the only ones in the league to be having these issues, I'm sure. We just have a few more than we no- should have at this point in time. But, you know, it's it's life. Zimmer can't fake it. He's not going to sit there and try to cover up what's really going on, that the injuries on the offensive line have put them in a bad spot. It can be fixed by week one, and that's the good news for the Vikings, is if Elfline can get himself back into playing shape, I mean, he's been working really hard on the side, but if he can get himself up to speed with Kirk Cousins and if Mike Remmers comes back, then you have a much more talented offensive line, but... Rashad, you heard him say Rashad Hill, I'm not really sure. Last week I saw Brian O'Neill take a handful of snaps at guard. I think that this is yet to be resolved or anywhere really close. I I could see Mike Remmers playing tackle. I could see Mike Remmers playing left guard and Brian O'Neill starting at right guard and Rashad Hill at right tackle. I mean, this is the thing. I really don't know where we stand with this offensive line. And if there is one thing that could take them down from where they are with this roster, which is pro bowlers all over the field. Yeah. It's that. But your quarterback, and we've you, seen that. But your quarterback, I mean, the one, the one thing that you gave up in this switch of starting QBs is this. Uh, Keenum could move, Keenum could scramble, and Keenum could throw. If Kirk Cousins can't drop back and, and survey the field... It's going to be a problem. Like there's no there's no simple fix here. There's no like, well, I mean Kirk if Kirk has to scramble, he can. I mean, everything that you've said and talked about from what you've seen on film from his time in Washington, everything screams to the one thing you have to be able to do is give him time to operate. And if you don't, you're going to put him in a position where he usually forces things. I mean, you saw it. And you that's saw just it a on fact. Saturday. Yeah, you saw I mean, it. Yeah. I mean, he had the pocket collapse on him on a number of occasions. And when it did, he bounced some passes and he didn't look comfortable at all. This is not a guy who feels a little bit of pressure, sees where the rush is coming, and then is going to roll out on his own. He's going to try to complete what he needs to do as far as his progression and then make the throw, but he allows the pocket to collapse on him. That happened several times on Saturday. We've been talking about that all offseason, and we talked about that at the draft for the reason you need to pick an offensive lineman is because this is one of the issues that Cousins has had in Washington. He is a really good quarterback. I mean, you want to see what a bad quarterback looks like? You saw Blake Bortles. (laughs) 
And thank you all Jacksonville fans for attempting to attack me on Twitter after I said Blake Bortles is bad. Your executive staff and Tom Coughlin, God bless him, longtime hardcore Zim-like football guy. What are you thinking? How are you, as we discussed postgame on the podcast too, how are you going into a season with a defense that good, with a team that could be really good, and you put that jokester of a quarterback in. The uh, Jaguars fans attempts to have comebacks about Blake Bortles. Why are they defending really, him? It really shows you how bad he's been. Yeah. Because the comebacks were mostly like, <laughs> Jalen Ramsey just said he thinks he's pretty good. Like, <laughs> that's the best you got, huh? Of course te- he did. A teammate said that he's pretty good. I mean, this is easily one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL with Bortles. This and is us trying to convince ourselves that Christian Ponder was going to be fine. Yeah. It's the same yeah, thing. It's that bad. But I mean, I mean, go ahead and but if you're a Jaguars fan, bash your team for this stupid move. Don't defend your quarterback. For, for, right, for leaving him in there. This is a guy with a career 80 quarterback rating, which might have been good in like 1978. But right now, that's really how many, bad. How many between the two joint practices and then the preseason game on Saturday, Collar? How many completely irresponsible passes did you see him throw? A dozen. And, and I don't mean bad. I don't mean sort of bad passes that skipped. Yeah. I, I mean passes where you said in the regular season someone's going to walk into an end zone with that piece yeah, the, of bleep. Well, the best part was that he threw the same interception that he threw to Harrison Smith in a practice. Or, or was it what the Alexander one? Maybe it was the Alexander one. But it was like the, the Alexander same, one went like off the same of McKenzie look. into Barr's hands, and even Barr couldn't hold on to that. It, it, it was like the same exact yep. look that the Vikings had already given him in practice, and he threw the same pick. I mean, this guy, he is 21 and 40 as a career starter with an 80 quarterback rating. And you're going to stick with him as opposed to this was a great quarterback draft and Lamar Jackson was still there, Case Keenum. I mean, they had. We talked about Teddy on Saturday. Teddy. I mean, could have gone and got Teddy for cheap for a year. I think what's going to happen in Jacksonville, this is just, this is like my hot take, write it down prediction. Yep. What happens in Jacksonville is they go like one in four to start the year and they turn things over to Cody Kessler who, as bad as he was, was still better than Blake Bortles on Saturday. And if that happens, we will all say you never had to put yourself in that situation. You are idiots. Ding, ding. One, seven, and eight were secure. All games matter. Whammy! Coaching her in shoot-arounds, paying attention to her. She clearly sees potential in this young lady and wants to make sure she can help with her development. There you go, Lindsay Whalen. Okay, sir, I didn't go. You did. What was it like last night to see at least the last regular season Minnesota game for Lindsey Whalen? Well, okay, part one on this is it was great. I mean, it's just this is something really special, and Lindsey, in only her way, said, hey, I only get to retire once, so... I mean, it just, yeah. you know, in her sure. sort of classic way of handling things, uh, that was really, it was really cool. She played well. She drilled a three to put them ahead late. Uh, she stared somebody down, like just one, one more time, stared somebody down. And then now she gets to play LA and she hates them. Mm-hmm. Uh, she really doesn't like Odyssey Sims. So those <laughs> two will definitely get into it uh, in what could be her final game in the playoffs here. Uh, but the crowd responded to everything she did. It was a massive crowd. Top deck pretty full. They, yep, they opened up the top That's deck, really cool. and there were a lot of people there. Good. And, you know, just when you think about the impact of Lindsey Whalen, you know, it's, it's that place is full. And that goes with winning, but that also goes with her. I mean, oh, yeah. All of them yeah. have contributed to that. Maya Moore has been a major, major But that was filled because of one person. But it was filled because of Lindsey Whalen yeah. on that day. And when... There's there's teenagers around me cheering for Lindsey Whalen. I just think like a lot of people got to grow up seeing a woman sports figure here in Minnesota as a true badass leader, like tough, like all those things that she represents. I think that you couldn't ask for anything better than that. And I, she got her due last night. Now, part two is yep. it's just so appropriate. It's just so perfect. That the referees it, it, botched this. her moment. I saw your tweet. This is this is the WNBA. As it, great as the league has become player wise, explain this. It is it is downright disrespectful to the excellence of these athletes. The referees that they run out for this league. It's a joke. And last night was the perfect clown show. 
because Lindsey Whalen is coming out of the game for the final time, about a minute and 20 seconds left. So everybody knows it's coming. They're waiting for it. Everyone's sort of on the edge of their seat, ready to rise up and give her this long, extended, awesome ovation. So there's a timeout or a foul, whatever it is. Here she comes. She's coming out of the game. She's walking slowly, right? She knows it's coming. Everybody knows it's coming. So everybody stands up, and they're going nuts. It is so loud in there. It was just as loud in there. There weren't as many fans as there was for the game that uh, the Wolves had to the play in. Oh, against Denver, um, yeah. But it was that loud. I mean, it, this was an, an incredible roar for Lindsey Whalen, and she's hugging Cheryl Reeve, and she's high-fiving her teammates, and it's just great. And then they pass the basketball in and start playing. And we're like, you tweeted this, and it, it is like, remarkable. We're like, what the hell? And like, and she's like, because her back is to the court too, and so I'm watching what you tweeted, and she clearly thought, okay, they're going to hold the game yeah, up for a night, yeah. not an extended period. The referees just had him pass the basketball. And in. She looks at the game's what are going. You doing like, why is have, this? What what's the what? problem? What's the problem here? Like, oh, why um, why can't we get referees that know what they're doing in a league where once again the play? Is really, really good. Now, supposedly, they are going to make an effort to have these be either f- not full time, but like better referees, or they're it's going to be right? undergoing more training or something. I forget what it is. There's going to be an effort there, but I, I don't know a whole lot about what their background is, or what the deal is, if this is like a summer job to them, or, yep. or what. It, what it is, or if it, or if they're going to use NBA referees now or something going forward, they have recognized the problem and they're going to try to help it. Mm-hmm. But it has been so bad. I mean, I I've seen, I saw Diana Taurasi get kicked out of a game. I think if you kick that, that for, was this year, right? For, yeah, the against the Lynx, and not yeah. for like punching someone, but like just for being upset about a call. Well, was she it got thrown two out years ago where where they completely screwed up the the Lynx Sparks game? Yes, and Cheryl the Reeve went absolutely nuts and had every right to go nuts about it. Yes, the Lynx should have another championship. <laughs> the the referees cost them Can another championship two in 2016. Can we fix two things here? Because this league has gotten really good. Can we fix that? Which to me seems pretty simple. You find referees who are competent. They don't even have to be great, but they're competent. And can we also get the league to pay for charter flights? Yeah. Like this yeah, league makes so much money. Can we just get the league? So not the teams. Can we just have a central fund from all the billions of dollars that you're raking in through the NBA so that these people can charter and not be yeah. traveling all night long and, and then a team from Vegas has to forfeit a game because they basically didn't get sleep? So what I think should have happened a long time ago, and maybe at some point it will, is the WNBA becomes part of the NBA collective bargaining. Sure. And it just it just becomes another wing. And so even if they don't play as many games, they become part of the entire pie of revenue. And it, the WNBA is much like the NHL. When people are like, oh, it's a dying league and all that. No, no, it's, it's not. It's, it's just very much like the NHL where a couple of teams hold up everybody else. Where the NHL, the only teams that make money are the New York Rangers, the Toronto uh, Maple Leafs, Boston Bruins. There's like five or six teams that actually make money, and they make a lot of money, and everyone else is held up by them. But in hockey, no one goes, ah, league is dying, even though teams are moving, teams are struggling. With right. with this, uh, it's actually become more stable, and it's Minnesota it's Seattle. Right. You know, it's, it's this handful of teams who are carrying everybody else. And I wish the NBA would just, and Adam Silver would just say, okay, now you're part of us. Now you're part of our pie. Sure. That's what, so, yes. Right. We're, so you're so going to charter. Right. Exactly. Because the, it's the, not that hard to do the this. The NBA is raking in such outrageous amounts of money that Andrew Wiggins, if you think about it, Andrew Wiggins' contract is going to be a thousand times more than all of the WNBA players together. Yep. So the, the the gap is is so significant. It's not like the NBA couldn't handle this. And then I think that if they were to do that, that helps promote their product. It's kind of like you got to spend money to make money. Mm-hmm. But either way, uh, last night was awesome for everybody who showed up. You but got stop the you game. got your money's worth. Your point but is, stop the game. Your point is so simple. Stop the game. Your point is what so, are you doing? Just use common sense. Right. Just don't put the ball in like, play. Like and you, it's not like the Washington players didn't. I mean, it's not like they didn't probably acknowledge it as well, right? So there's no compelling reason right. not to just, hey, we're going to hold it up. 
They do this for for you know how long? Minute? I mean, I mean, it's college basketball. The when lack of complete a senior sense walks there. off. Yeah, be, high schools will do this where the referees <laughs> are like, Lindsay let's Whalen give it a minute. Is walking off and she's getting this huge cheers and you can see her back is turned to the court because she's expecting those things and she turns around and the game's going on. When is a sack not a sack? Oh boy, do we got problems. The Mackie and Judd Show will continue in a moment. So long, losers! On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. Please, continue. On 1500 ESPN. You know, when after I looked at it, after I calmed down a little bit, I, I looked at it, and he was his head was to the side, and he was going to the side, and if he had just rolled, it'd been he, but he, he kind of pumped him into the turf. So I actually think that was a good call. Fourth quarter, where do we start here? Fourth quarter, Saturday, Jacksonville against the Vikings. Uh, linebacker, Antoine, correct? Is that the correct pronunciation? Yes, it is. Williams uh, comes in and sacks Cody Kessler, the quarterback for the Jaguars. And uh, as far as I could tell in real time and replays, everything I saw looked like, okay, it's just a sack. Nice sack. I think he lost. I think quarterback lost seven yards. It would have set up, a, I believe, second and 17. And then we get the flag. And now this is this is the new rule, or I'm sorry, <laughs> I misspoke. This is the now being enforced rule about landing on a quarterback and or driving said quarterback into the ground. And I thought Zimmer, I really thought post game because he went ballistic in uh, in real time. I thought Zim would be very upset. But once again, here's what he said when asked about that sack and the subsequent 15 yard roughing the passer penalty on Saturday. You know, when after I looked at it, after I calmed down a little bit, I I looked at it and he was his head was to the side and he was going to the side. And if he had just rolled, it'd been he, but he he kind of pumped him into the turf. So I actually think that was a good call. And collar because you. Here's my question to you. Where do you want to start here? Uh, pumped him into the turf is weird. And also, if you go back and watch it, and I, I wrote something about it for our site yesterday, 1500ESPN.com, and I embedded the sack, and Williams clearly, while he does take him down to the turf, purposely sort of lands on his side off of him slightly, off of Kessler. He doesn't pump him, I don't think, into the turf. But where where do you want to start with this? Because... I, you know, we keep hearing calm down. It's not, this won't get called during the season. I'm not sure that's true. And, you know, this is the type of call where there's going to be at least one of these, if not more, that cost a team a game. I, I think. Uh, think that it will cool off during the regular season because it's very easy for Mike Zimmer right now to say, hey, guys, don't overreact. I mean, he kind of pumped him into the turf. Like, don't worry. Yep. Uh, he did. Yeah, okay, I can see why it was a penalty. I'm not going to get fined by the NFL for complaining about the referees today because it's a preseason game. If somebody's turf pump uh, costs them a game, then I think we will have the outrage. I mean, even like during that game, it's a Saturday afternoon, and the entire NFL media at large is flipping out <laughs> on Twitter over that penalty. And that that type of pressure, it reminds me of how the uh, NBA at one time was going to f- call everybody for a technical if they even reacted to a bad call. So imagine, like, KG on this, <laughs> right? So, like, KG rolls his eyes or throws his arms up in the air, and it's... You're, you're getting a tech. And through about, what, six games of the preseason or regular season, I forget how it went exactly, but through like six games of the regular season, they had to kill that because it's just like ridiculous. They're throwing out star players and, and, and costing teams games with ridiculous technicals over complaining about the refs. So eventually they just had to let them. And I still stand on that, that they are going to call everything and then they're going to see what works and what doesn't. And in the regular season, this will be quite a bit different or we won't remember that we even talked about it. Here's the one thing I don't I don't get about this rule to a certain degree now. And, and I get it. Rodgers got hurt bad. That's bad for business if you're the league and you want to change that. So I get that part. But when it comes to the um, helmet rule now of tackling and this, I'd like to say to myself, man, the officials, what the hell? But I don't blame them. How can you expect these guys in real time? Like in real time, okay, I still think that was not a great call personally, 
but it's it's bang bang and you've and you've been told and and this becomes the question now are, are you going to be told this going into week one as well but you've been told hey if you think you see this throw that flag mm-hmm. so the Hockley the Sean Hockley crew, and but by the way, the kid is just like his old man. He called 20 penalties. He loves, the kid loves an open mic. That's just what we needed is more Hockley. More Hockley. <laughs> Not as ripped as dad, but he loves, he loves the open mic. But anyway, so these guys are told in a bang bang sequence, make these calls. And, and even with, with the helmet rule at times, don't be afraid to eject. But you can't go back and look. Like I these as far as I'm concerned, the officials have been put into collar an impossible situation because you you're told to probably err on the side of protecting the quarterback and and or the the uh, so-called defenseless player. And so you're told make these calls and you have to make these calls, but you have to do it with a split second. That's the problem. If you're going to eject a guy, I think you have to at least give the college rule there of, okay, if you're going to call an ejection, you can go back and look. So I don't blame the officials here. I think the officials, year after year after year, with all of these rules and how big it's gotten as far as the rule book goes, have been put in a situation where their job is damn near impossible. And that's my contention why a lot of the veteran refs said, I'm out, I'm done. I can't do yeah. this anymore. Now, I, I agree with that, that they are putting them in a really difficult spot. And if you're going to do it, as much as I hate this, and with every fiber of my being, with every ounce of energy in my soul, I hate review. I hate replay. I want it totally put in a rocket ship and sent to the sun. To in be, every sport? To be burned into a million bits and never come back. Yes, in, in every, every sport. sport all the time. There's a few tiny exceptions but, to that. Is it a goal or not in hockey? Yeah. Like, did the puck go in? Okay, that's fine. But is this fair? But, but, with, but with this situation... With these, if you're going to eject players, if you're going to flag them for 15 yards, game changing plays, you are going to have to review them because they're happening too fast. Did he pump the guy into the turf? I mean, what are we talking about here? We are very close to, and and this is, I don't believe, an overreaction on my part. We are very close to some type of touch football element with quarterbacks. If they are in, if they are, if they are serving as a quarterback. Yeah. Like if they start to run and they're five yards downfield, I think the dynamic can change a little bit. But we are very, very close to essentially saying if you touch the quarterback, he's down. If he is back to pass or if he is just outside the pocket. I really think that we are close to that. And how are you supposed to interpret this, though? In a split second, pumped to the turf. What, what does that even mean? <laughs> turf pump. Like Zimmer, the, the league has clearly talked to these coaches. Yes. Uh, in yes, fact, in yes. fact, Shermer, Shermer's team, about it. the Giants had a terrible call against Detroit, go against them on Friday night with the helmet rule, where their linebacker was rushing, basically, and people lower their heads, right? Like, to have your head up constantly is not going to happen. And he lowered his head, but it wasn't, it wasn't a bad irresponsible, cheap play, and they flagged him for it. And Shermer very carefully said, I don't agree, I'm not going to say a thing about it, but I'm sending this to the league because we need an interpretation. So they clearly went to all these coaches and said, give us time because we don't know what the hell we're doing. Yes, right, because otherwise I don't think Mike Zimmer says, well, he did kind of uh, pump him into the turf. Also, the game doesn't matter, so that's very easy to say, oh, he did kind of pump him into the turf because, well, it didn't actually cost us anything in real life, so no big deal, right? And Mm -hmm. that's where I am interested to see how this all changes because I do remember once upon a time, not too long ago, that uh, I think it was James Harrison was, I'm going to quit football if they call this stuff. Right. Yep. Like, yeah, okay, sure you are. Quit. Yeah, okay. Quit. Yeah, right. I, I'll look for that. I'll wait for you to quit football because they're flagging you for hitting quarterbacks too hard. And even James Harrison made his adjustments on how he was hitting quarterbacks. And then we all kind of got over it, right? Eventually, we all sort of said, okay, you can't just demolish the quarterback like you used to. And we all said, okay, I mean, concussions and all that. The Tom Brady thing where you can't fall on his legs is idiotic. How, how about but somebody got hurt? How about uh, for offensive linemen of like, yep, but an important uh, player got uh, hurt. You can't fall on an offensive lineman's leg because he might get hurt. No, it's 
But I get it though. Protect the quarterback, protect offense. That's what you want in the league. That's all that's all fine and good. And I think that where we'll get to eventually is either adjustments from the players or adjustments from the league on these rules, and we will all move on from this and not talk about it as much. It'll still pop up. I think that's eventually where we get to. I just keep coming back to the fact that you put these officials in an impossible oh, yes. situation yes. to do their jobs. Yep. They they cannot win here. Hey, Paul, what's going on? How are you? Good, and yourself? Not bad. Hanging in there. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you are. Um, Still here. You kind of, you, yeah, exactly. You kind of morphed into my question here. You remember a number of years ago, the big deal was in the grasp with the quarterbacks, and that kind of has gone away a little bit where they're giving the quarterbacks more time to weasel out of a tackle. But if they're going to do this to the defensive players, they're going to have to come back from the other side and say, all right, we don't want the quarterbacks getting hit. We're going to have to resurrect the in-the-grasp rule and, and really enforce it. And we won't like it because you've got to give somebody a chance to break a tackle. But if you're taking all power away from the defensive side of the ball pertaining to quarterbacks, there's got to be some kind of give on the offensive side. I think they're going to really resurrect the uh, in-the-grasp rule again. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate the call. Yep. Um, they're going to, yes, I think they're going to, I would not be surprised if they, if because th- this is such a mess that they now come back and, and try and say, if, if this, then that, like, like with in the grasp, I do think Paul's probably right, but they are getting very close to that. If a quarterback collar is back to pass, you can touch him. You can sort of grab him. You can bear hug him, but you can't throw him down. That's what we're getting close to. They are, uh. It's just that simple. Throwing that out there on ESPN as we watch that that's become the biggest storyline of the preseason is uh, these rules. And, you know, I guess uh, for the league, that's one of the things that they had to do is is get feedback for all this. So I'm going to maintain, don't start calling it the, why don't we just have them playing skirts league or anything like that. Just, just yet. Don't, don't go there just yet. And when I see it in the regular season in week eight, then you could come back and tell me that I was wrong and that that's what's going on. But until then, I'm going to just try to remain patient on this. And maybe these guys will adapt the way that they tackle. And I, because I think pass rushers have adapted the way that they sack quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. When I was growing up, Mm -hmm. I watched Bruce Smith like end lives. I mean, he would take a guy by the the horse collar thing so did Lawrence and Taylor. spin him around and throw him. Yep. I mean, he would jump over a blocker and drill someone so hard in the face or like blindside that, I mean, he was knocking quarterbacks out of the game left and right. There was one against uh, Joe Montana in the playoffs mm-hmm. when they were playing the Chiefs where it was like, how is Joe Montana going to survive this hit? And that doesn't <laughs> happen anymore. We don't see quarterbacks getting their lives ruined as much uh, by pass rushers because they've all adapted. And guess what? They still get sacks. It's been fine. I mean, Everson Griffin is a pretty mean and nasty guy. And he got, what, 14 sacks last year, 13 and a half, and wasn't penalized on any of them. So they figured it out. And I think the same will go here for the safeties and how they hit the wide receivers, that they'll just have to adapt and will freak out for a little while. And by the middle of the season, we'll have so much else going on that we won't be discussing this at all. That's that's kind of, I'm trying to take that bigger picture view on this. More mature view. Of not to freak out about it now, even though I think that the Antoine Williams field turf pump is one of the most absurd things I've ever and seen. And the head coach her. ain't going to take it well in week six. Right, yeah. He, he ain't going to be like, yeah, that's yeah, okay. And I'm sure, and I guarantee you they've told them that. I guarantee you that they yeah, have told probably. every team, look, we're trying this all out. If you go in the media and you start trashing our referees, we're going to fine you. And Mike Zimmer probably wants another tractor for the ranch. I don't think he wants to pay $20,000 or whatever the fine is yep. for being critical of preseason refs. You're going to save that bullet for the regular season. 651-646-8255. If you would like to join the conversation, 651-646-8255. We also have to get to the news of the day yesterday that a Hall of Fame running back might not be done quite yet. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Just a reminder, this station does not endorse this. On 1500 ESPN. 
Phil Mackey. Poke it out of the bunker, two putt for a 10. You lost the course. And then I lit myself on fire. Judd Zolgad. Am I just getting old and super cranky or old and sort of cranky? Mackey and Judd on 1500. The Great Minnesota get-together is almost here. While you're making your state fair plans, be sure to add 1500 ESPN to your list. Swing by our booth on the corner of Dan Patch and Chambers to watch your favorite show's broadcast live from the front porch. And also check out the new merchandise in the pro shop. More details can be found at 1500 ESPN. ESPN.com. Into the open. Midfield. 45, and there he goes. To the 10. Touchdown. 64 quick yards. He's pretty good. We talked about it in the first half. That's why you keep giving him the ball. Keep giving him the ball. Famine, famine, feast. Might be back, Matthew Collar. Adrian Peterson. So if if... You are the Washington National Football League team, and you are desperate for help at the running back position. And you had um, Jamal Charlson yesterday for a chat. Orleans, is it Darkwa? Was in yesterday for mm-hmm. a chat and and uh, to talk to the team. And Adrian Peterson is coming in today to talk to the Washington NFL team. Do you sign Adrian Peterson? I mean, my gosh, no. <laughs> Why, how is it even a consideration at this point? Really? Because they're desperate because they've lost because they've been playing guys. They've lost, I believe we are now up to three running backs, including one for the season with an ACL. Yeah, and their guy so that they got uh from LSU, who is supposed to be a freak, he gets the ACL injury and he was supposed to be their starter. Um, but my gosh, no. I mean, Adrian Peterson has been one of the least effective running backs in the NFL over the last three years. And after you saw what happened with New Orleans, it is amazing that he continues to convince people that he is a good NFL running back. Like, I believe that Adrian Peterson is in shape. I, I saw I, that, by the way. He's I, in great shape. He's always in great shape. Right, He'll be like, 75 years right. old and in great shape. I, I believe that he could still run real fast. I think if you had him run the 40 right now, I bet it's fast, but it's not the same burst as it used to be. And he was never a a perfect technical guy when it came to like reading the blocks and all that. He was just such a freak that he would run over everybody. And then there's the other parts of it too. Mm -hmm. It's just like the pass blocking, the receiving, all of that. If it was bad in his prime, it's an abomination now. I don't know why anyone would consider having him other than. Like maybe for Arizona last year, you were super desperate in the middle of the year, and it's like, well, I guess okay, uh, we'll just bring him in and give him a try because it's kind of a lost season anyway. Um, and once they lost well, Carson Palmer, right, went down, and it was like, well, once they lost Carson Palmer, they weren't going to make the playoffs. They might as well just bring him in and see if anything happens. But as far as a running back to play any sort of significant role in the NFL now after averaging like three yards a carry last year, I I. I can't wrap my head around that one. So I guess I understand why you want to have a conversation with them, but this should be pretty open and shut. The number of look at the Vikings. They have two running backs battling for this third spot where we're like, ah, geez, they're both real good. Mike Boone and Rock Thomas both look good. And yet there's a team out there going, Man, we better call Adrian Peterson. What? And but this is so Washington, right? Oh, like yes, this, this is, is why we were. This is why when when we were uh, going to the game on Saturday, is I Big told Daddy you Wilkinson around. I don't. I told you this is the thing about Washington. Why that division, the Giants could pop back up, right? Easily. Oh yeah. Dallas oh, could yeah. pop back up easily. Philadelphia is your defending Super Bowl champion. They could go. They could regress a bit, but they're still going to be good. Nonetheless. This is why I don't trust Washington at all. Because the Rolodex includes a call to this guy. Yes. That's why I don't trust him. Be- because I lo- and I love I love the narrative that we get every time that a team talks to Adrian. He's in great shape. He's in great shape. As I said, he'll be 80 years old, politicking to continue to play and be in unbelievable shape. And it doesn't matter. He still is a subpar receiver. He still doesn't block. And at 33, he can no longer run like he could run previously. I will stick with I will stick with my contention that the next team that he plays for, because he's not done, the next team he plays for should be Brad Childress's Atlanta Club in that new league that I believe is going to launch in February. <laughs> That's where he should play next. Michael Vick will call plays for him. But if you're an NFL team 
and you are have any idea of how offenses work in 2018. And by the way, Jay Gruden does too. Jay Gruden does. Yeah, yeah. Jay Gruden's good. So I don't know where this comes from, but how do you put in film of Adrian with either the Saints or Cardinals and say, let's make that call? He literally had one good game. He had two good, I mean, he had two good games as a the, Cardinal. The, the other one wasn't even that great. I mean, that was like he carried the ball a lot. But it doesn't matter. He, but, th- but this is, I mean, since like 2015, he's yeah. had literally one objectively good game. And then you're going to bring him in. Uh, that's that to me is just classic Washington Football Club. I was just pulled up like a random year of Washington, two thousand one, where Jeff George was picked up on that team. Eric Metcalf was on the team. Yeah, Bruce Smith was on the team. Yes, Kajana Carter. This is, da- this Daniel is like Snyder. So classic Washington. Da- Daniel Snyder strikes me as an owner who thinks he's running a fantasy football team <laughs> from five years before he picks yes. up players. Yes, it's like, oh man, he's available. Kajana Carter's out there. Do you remember him in college? Uh, yeah, but he's not good now. I don't care. Pick him up. <laughs> Get him. And, yeah, and, Jeff, I, and Jeff George. Jeff George. I don't know how many times he volunteered his services to come back here. He kept he kept politicking through the Pioneer Press to have Brad Childress bring him back. Like this is two thousand six or seven. You know, of all he played the, here in ninety nine. All the players that could be like um, a thirty for thirty on their own. Jeff George, I really want a thirty for thirty on Jeff George. That'd be great. I mean, what a wild career! The meltdowns, number one two overall co- pick, two colleges. Yeah. Purdue, Illinois. Yeah, right. The it's, June Jones meltdown thing. Such a crazy career that that guy had. Oh, he had so much talent, Matthew. Oh yeah, like I if love... you go back and watch that arm, that arm. If he if he had had his head on straight as a young man, he would have been great. Anytime you see like the Randy Moss highlights with Jeff George, it's like Jeff George flicks the wrist and the ball goes fifty to sixty yards. Yep, and Randy and into Randy's hands. It, it, he has. A top five arm of all time is like him and Elway, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and, the, and he just could never get it together mentally. He, I would, I would liken them mentally as players, George and Cutler. Yeah, like yeah, Cutler's, yeah. Cutler's got an amazing. He sabotaged arm. himself. Yep. I told you I was covering a Vikings uh, Bears game in the Metrodome years ago, and Jay Cutler's playing QB. It must have been his first year in Chicago. And Matthew, I kid you not, he is in the pocket and it collapses, right? So he's got he's got guys trying to block for him, but it's collapsing around him. And all you can see is Jeff is uh, Jay Cutler's hand and the ball, and he flicks it, and it's a bullet. Oh yeah, like that's yeah. that's ridiculous. You're about to get sacked. You basically have no ability to use your legs to get off the throw, mm-hmm. and he throws a bullet. Just a dart. He just flicks his wrist and it's a dart. Yeah, you're right. Those two were the most maddening quarterbacks because of their level of talent versus what they were actually able to accomplish. And and Jeff George, like, he had he had his days. I mean, where he was good. I mean, even here he was good. But he finishes his career with a forty six and seventy eight record. Yep. Well, and and the famous play as a Viking was so Cunningham basically benched himself in Detroit in 99. George came in and played, I think, uh, pretty well. That team made the playoffs. But the famous uh, Jeff George as a Viking play is the fumble in the playoff game against the Rams. Mm. And the ball's sitting there. And Jeff George looks at the ball and looks at the ball and looks at the ball again and thought, I ain't going after that football. And everyone's like, go fall on it. it, it that, that, was, that encapsulated at times the greatness, but in times the maddening thing about Jeff, you're in a playoff game, there's a loose ball on the turf, and Jeff George's like, that ain't me. You could do a 30 for 30 on his 1997 season alone with the Oakland Raiders. Yep. He went 4 and 12, but led the NFL in passing yards, but also sacked, time sacked, through 29 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. So, like, a, this great statistical season, they won nothing. Yep. <laughs> okay, so of of subpar quarter... Or not, this is great. I, I shouldn't say subpar. His football of reference co- page is amazing. Of quarterbacks of quarterbacks who didn't achieve the stardom that you would have expected, and if you were going to do documentaries on them, George, for sure, I think Cutler. Do you remember the kid that was the, the kid out of California whose dad was a nut job? Todd oh, they, they did one on him, yeah. Okay, they did one on him. He that was a great story. 
But I think, yeah, George and Cutler to me were very similar in the fact that you looked at them. If you were, if you were an executive, it would have been so attractive to be like, oh, man, if I just get my hands on this guy, I can change him, right? The old, the old boyfriend thing. If I could just get to Jeff George, I could change him. You couldn't change Jeff George. And, I mean, I don't know if, like, Ryan Leaf is that interesting to me because he was just always bad. Like, he's interesting because of his post-career that he went to jail. He's a good he's, story. He's sort yeah. of, like, found Jesus now and yeah, everything. Yeah, no, he and definitely like, has. Like, yeah. that's great. Good for him. And you guys had him on the air, and that was really cool. But he's less interesting to me because he, he never really even made it. I feel I mean, like you know his story, though, pretty thoroughly. Yeah. Where Jeff George, there's a lot of hidden stuff that it would be great to go back and unearth now. I'm so much more interested in guys who sort of had a career, but it didn't really work out. <laughs> than ones that just never made it. Like, Ryan, the reality of Ryan Leaf is he's only interesting because Peyton Manning and then Leaf was a complete train wreck. Yep. But he's not interesting to me as far as a career. He was bad. He couldn't cut it. He failed. He was out. That's kind of the whole story. Mm-hmm. And then he had some you know silly moments where he yells at the reporter and all that sort of stuff. But his career doesn't intrigue me at all. Anywhere close to where Jeff George does. Because well, you don't George, know that much because, about George, though. Well, not only that, but he, That's the other thing. he would flash it, though. Like, he would have a year where he <laughs> oh, went 9-7 like, right. and seven with Atlanta, and he's got this this great stat line, or 8-2 and two with the Vikings, and you think, hey, maybe in his 30s, this guy, like, all of a sudden figures it out, kind of like Steve Young. Steve Young's a, a, you know, terrible early on with Tampa well, Bay. He, cause he was, then, yeah, because he was put with just a dumpster fire right, team. Finally absolutely. gets his shot and then has a Hall of Fame career yep. at, at starting at like 30 years old. Yep. So you think, hey, maybe this is what Jeff George is going to do. And then he goes to D.C. and is a truck fire again. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that to me is way more interesting than, well, Ryan Leaf was just really bad and couldn't do this. All right, let's set things here. If you're just tuning in, the show is Mackie and Judd, of course. Phil, All Jeff George talk. Phil actually is going to join the show at 11 o'clock. Uh, Collar is here until then. Uh, plenty of guests to come, including Jake DePew on Stephen Gonzalez's first start as a twin tonight. Derek Wetmore to talk twins at 11.30. Kevin Seifert at 10 o'clock. He's going to try and help us sort out what the hell is going on when it comes to National Football League rules, and that's right around the corner. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Just hold your ass right there. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd now continue. Well, here we are again. Yeah. On 1500 ESPN. James. Okay, Collar, you have uh, found a list of what? The biggest bust biggest QBs bust of all time? Yes. All right. Go through go through the list and we can we can reminisce about a lot of guys who would probably be really good in 30 for 30 documentaries. So Jeff George is on the list. This is 50 of them. I will not read 50 of them. I will just give you the top 10. George did not make the top 10. Yeah. He had enough good moments not to. I think that the most interesting guys are the Jason Campbells. Like EJ Manuels, like guys who continue to have careers, but like, why didn't it ever work out that they either never got a shot again? Football! Football! When you say those names, this is what makes you the ultimate football nerd. I know. This is why we love you. Cade McNown's, man. The guys who had a little. Well, McNown, actually, I don't think he had a. Jason Campbell. I don't think McNown ever really got in. Washington and where else? Yeah. Um, Oakland. Yeah, okay. Oakland. Thanks, James Murphy. He's been a backup, I think, at a couple places. He, I mean, I've, I, if someone told me Jason Campbell's still around, I'd be like, oh, okay, because Todd <laughs> Todd Collins was a fairly high draft pick, and he all of a sudden started a playoff game for Washington when somebody got hurt, and I was like, oh my gosh, Todd Collins is still playing football. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. So here's the top ten: Dave Klingler is number ten, Todd Blackledge is number nine, okay, on the list. Akili Smith, number eight. Oh, that's the Culpepper draft, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, High correct. pick in the Culpepper draft. That was the one where everyone was like, oh, the, all these quarterbacks, it's going to be amazing. Oregon, right? Uh, yeah. Kind of yeah. kind of like this year with all the quarterbacks. Yep. And like the odds are three uh, three out of the five are going to bust. So that that was, was that was that Couch, Smith, McNabb, Culpepper at 11? Does that sound right? Uh, was, yeah. Uh, couch one to Cleveland. I think now, Philly. Now I have to look. So I, I think that's that, that was ninety nine. Yes, um, then then that's correct. The yep. next one is Andre Ware, and yeah, man, what a weird one that one was because Andre Ware got in like a few games with Detroit, but they basically chose to play like Rodney Pete instead because they had a winning roster <laughs> and they were good, <laughs> but like 
they they had this top pick quarterback that they couldn't put in. It was just a weird situation. I think Andre Ware might have had a cup of coffee here. Yeah, I think so. I think he came through here. And if I'm not mistaken now, he's the radio analyst for the Houston Texans. Yes, he's a broadcaster. Uh, Rick Meyer. Oh, yeah. Rick Meyer has one of the most remarkably awful careers. But that's another guy who's interesting because people gave him more shots. He, like, got a shot with Chicago. Yep. Just, like, he was let to continue to try to play National Football League football, and it did not work. Uh, Heath Schuler, that's a classic. Third overall in 94. Just couldn't. Couldn't do it. He couldn't play. Uh, Todd Marinovich is the one that you mentioned. He's number four on this Bleacher Report list. Yeah, Marcus Russell has uh, to be soon. How do you pronounce this guy's name? Arch Schleister. Schleister, yeah. Yes, a gambler. Uh, a little be- before, before my time. Before your time, but a, a star Ohio State QB who has spent, uh, I think, much of his adult life incarcerated for gambling issues. Not great. He's number He was three. Ryan Leaf before Leaf, basically. And then Jamarcus Russell and Ryan Leaf, number two and number one. And those those guys aren't that interesting to me because they just couldn't cut it. They just weren't NFL players. And there's a lot of top picks who just weren't NFL players. So if you could do documentaries on guys from that list, give give me your 34-30 list from those those 10. Well, for one, Tim Couch is one because I always – he's, I think, 13th on this list. I I always thought that Tim Couch should have been a decent NFL quarterback – but the Cleveland Browns roster was so pathetic yep. that he never really had a shot. Uh, Vince Young is number 21. I don't think that he's actually a bust. Uh, he has a good record and made the playoffs. And that's that's really fringe busty, but I'm, I'm super interested in Vince Young's career because he had some successes and some failures. The, the bar was set so high by sure. what he did at Texas uh, there are other ones. Tommy Maddox and the XFL thing was so interesting. Uh, you know, George is number twenty-five on this list. Um, That's probably I'm fair. Scrolling through here to Brady Quinn, that one's not really. Kerry Collins is fascinating because Kerry Collins led two teams to twelve wins, yep. and the whole rest of the time was awful. Let me give you two names of quarterbacks I believe to have been cursed. Um, when Carr was drafted by Houston. With that offensive line, if he was yes, good, David Carr's on there. It ruined him. Yep. And Tim Couch. And here's why Tim Couch gets drafted by Cleveland, which is a complete joke, right? The offensive line's terrible. He's got no chance. Do you know Tim Couch tried to resurrect his career, I believe, in, two, in 2003? Yeah. Yes, but as Brett's backup. Yes. Where you were going to get no favors, no help. Yes. Where you were not, unless you were unless you were Doug Peterson and went golfing with Brett, you were going to get, trying to resurrect your lost <laughs> career, hoping that you can find it as Brett Favre's backup is akin to putting a bullet in your career. <laughs> it is. You had yeah. no chance. Yeah. And I mean, then, Brett, Favre, Brett Favre had no, Brett Favre wouldn't let you Hawkeye is my guess. If I'm not mistaken, then he got like dinged for PEDs or something. Oh, did he? I don't it, remember that. Was, I did a big feature for the Star Tribune on him when, when he was trying to come back in Green Bay. And nice enough guy, jaded, but nice, okay guy. But I, I thought to myself, this you've got no shot. Yeah, Like you have no shot of resurrecting your career in Green Bay. That's one where I would have liked to have seen it because at one point he flashed some success mm-hmm. and they made the playoffs the one year. And then it just kind of all fell apart because their team was so bad. Yes, James Murphy, what's up? No, I was just saying we got one minute to break. I wasn't trying to. Oh, I thought you wanted to chime in. All right, then we will take that break. Kevin Seifert, (laughs) ESPN.com, joins us next to talk NFL. Don't go anywhere. Assume the position. More Mackie and Judd coming up next on 1500 ESPN.